With one hand, we reach back to the tried and tested principles which have dethroned principalities and powers. And with the other, we reach forward to the purpose, the power of God for a new generation. I am strategically positioned to bring those things that are lacking in the body of Christ back to where they should be again. We have forgotten the gospel, we have forsaken doctrine, and we have become entertainers. And uh, the gospel is not entertainment. And uh, uh, the gospel, the gospel, most folks, most folks can't get it, you know. I don't know what Bible they read, but uh, the Bible and the gospel uh, are at enmity with the world around us. Uh, I'm gonna try again, maybe there's some saved folk back there somewhere. I said, the, the Bible, the gospel is at enmity with the spirit of the world, the spirit of the age. And the issue becomes when the church adopts the spirit of the age, instead of the spirit of the age being affected by the church. This is, this is a dangerous time in church history. It plays out over and over again historically. So let's attack it so that the gospel that must be preached will be preached. And then the end shall come and we'll fold up our tent and go home, but we're not ready yet. I'm at Isaiah chapter five, verse 20. And the word is, Woe, and it's spelled with an E, not an A-H. When Blair was going for her writing, she does English writing, and when she was going in yesterday, the gate going in to the stables said W-H-O-A, and I said, I should, have, I should have grabbed that sign and used it last week. Everybody just shout, whoa. whoa. That, that's, a, that's a word like behold. It's, it's not a word we use very often. We don't use the word behold, you know. Nobody says when that beautiful thing comes sashaying across from Valor Christian College dormitories that you've been watching ever since you got here in September and she comes in Sunday morning with those false eyelashes batting and that perfume wafting in the air. You don't, but brother doesn't look at brother and say, behold. No, he said, what the, doesn't he? So that's one of those words like, whoa. Everybody shout it again, whoa. It doesn't mean to stop. It's a warning of what happens if you continue as you have been going. It's a strategic inflection point. Andy Grove is still to this day the second wealthiest computer mogul in the world. Uh, if you've got any kind of computer device somewhere on it, it'll have those little Intel, that little Intel sign. And Andy Grove wrote a book. Uh, I was very, very interested in it, not because it had any spiritual impact, but I was just interested in what a gentleman that successful financially would have to say. And uh, there's an entire section in the book on a strategic inflection point say that a strategic inflection point now the fact of the matter is you come up against a strategic inflection point oh somewhere near 240,000 times a day 
You say, well, what is that? It's a place where you cannot go on as you have been going because it is not a continuation of a crossroads. It is rather a dead end where a decision has to be made. Say decision. Decision has to do with choice. You can no longer go on as you have been going because you are at a strategic inflection point. Such was the case when Adam and Eve, our pristine parents in the elegant garden of Eden, had placed there centrally located in that garden where they would come across it very, very often, something called the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So we go back to the text and the text says, woe unto them, woe unto them, sorrow, distress, sadness, heartache, despair. So there you are at a strategic inflection point. And God, in the midst of all that, gives a warning because God's traffic light does have three colors. It does have red, it does have green, and it does have yellow. And the yellow one is a caution. It is a warning. We have removed warnings from our doctrine, from our dialect, from our services, from our songs, from our preaching, from our prophesying, the same as we've largely done with things like the blood of Christ, the cross of Christ, in time things. We, we've erased it. And so we have no warning, so we run headlong into an intersection that does not have a through road. And if you don't caution and you don't slow down before you get to where you've got to make a choice, you're going to end up in disaster. And so it's only a good and loving God. I need to make this announcement today. I pray I'll get there. Evil is completely, completely and entirely congruous with the nature of a loving, caring, benevolent God. Now everybody's tilted. Because the question remains, why would a loving, benevolent, caring God allow Pastor Parsley to have vocal cord cancer? Or even yet, more errant doctrine, why would he give it to him? Well, the prevailing answer would be to teach him something. And, and my response to that is, I bet I could have learned everything I learned during that experience without having to go through two years of silence. Now you may not shout yet, but if I can help you identify the strategic inflection point that you're at right now and you will come up against multiple times this day and every other day, I can help you to choose left or right. I need somebody to shout, there's really only one choice. Say it again. There's really only, because God in his love and benevolence says things like this. Choose you. Now there's that word that identifies a strategic inflection point where you can no longer go on as you're going. 
or you're going to get off track. Now the thing about a strategic inflection point where a choice must be made is simply this. When you are at that point, when you come up to the end of how you've been going, and you must choose right or left, left or right. When you come up to that point, you cannot linger because life is coming behind you. God declares to you at that point, choose this day whom you will serve. Now your Bible says, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. God declares there are two roads. There's not just one road. There are two roads. One is wide. The other is narrow. Don't shout me down now. The narrow road and few there be that find it. The narrow road leads to life. Not, not just eternal life. John 10, 10 life. The thief came to kill, steal, and destroy. But Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. The struggle is not between God and Satan. That's not the struggle. Behold, I saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning out of a dark-throated storm cloud. Ezekiel said what God does, he does forever. That means if he was defeated, he is defeated. You... So defeated is he that God did not even stand up from his throne to defeat him. I just let it just seep in. He led a third of the angelic hosts of God in rebellion against the God that Job said set the world on nothing. Hung the world on nothing. Sent it spinning and commanded the oceans to not spill a drop. Stood on nothing for there was nothing to stand upon. Spoke words there was no one to hear. Declared light be. And light did not hold a committee meeting. Light was. Because the word of God, the debar of God, is not a description of a thing. The word of God is the thing. Now God says when you reach that strategic inflection point, he says to you, choose this day whom you will serve. There's another road. It's a broad road. 
It's easy to make the turn. You've got a lot of room, elbow room, to make your own choice in a culture that declares to you it's all about you. We have become the generation of lots that choose the broad plain, well-watered gardens. Because the other way looks so difficult. It's narrow. It's not well paved. That great poet laureate, Robert Frost, said two roads diverge in wood and I, I chose the one less traveled by and that has made all the difference. We are intoxicated upon the crowd. How many do we have coming? How many do you have going? I go to church, are you the church? I choose my own path. I beat my own drum. Ah. And yet the prophetic word of God declares to you, there is a way that seems right to a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. Choose this day whom you will serve. If God be God, then serve him. And if Satan be God, then serve him. Nowhere does he give you the opportunity to serve you. I'm talking slow. Shove your neighbor and say, it's really not all about you. When the modern church becomes introspective, when we in our personal lives want to make everything all about us, we are choosing the Broadway. There is not one time to make a choice and that's it. That's the lie being perpetrated upon the modern church. You only have one decision to make. First of all, that's not a decision. That's supposed to be a conversion. I have decided to follow Jesus. Well, you better take another step. It's not about a decision, it's about a conversion. It's about becoming a new creature. It's about all things pass away and all things become new. When you get converted, it's not about you deciding to try to be a better person. It's about you become a new creature. Ah, God. I'm, I'm walking slow with you. Then God helps you out. Because he says, 
Choose you this day whom you will serve. Shall choose. Choose you this day whom you will serve. If God be God, serve him. If Satan be God, serve him. If the world system is God, serve it. But at some point, somebody's got to stand up to be seen and speak out to be heard and declare that kingdom must of necessity trump culture. Then God says, choose life. Here's the problem, professor. The problem is that from the fall of mankind in Genesis chapter 3, from that moment, mankind has been under the delusion that we know right from wrong. You have no earthly idea what is right and what is wrong. You have only temporary vision. You are myopic. You, if not, then I beg the question, what need have you of God? Here's how you know right from wrong. That book laying on your lap. declares to us the way of truth. He said nothing about fact. Fact is immaterial. Why? Truth triumphs over fact. The fact may be that you've got cancer in your body, but the truth is he set you free. The truth may be that. The fact may be you've got double zeros in your bank account, but the truth is Here's what we don't like. The choice is ours. The desire to have someone else choose for you is rooted in your future ability to blame. We live in a blame culture. It's the government's fault. It's the city's fault. It's my generational curse's fault. You're born again, you don't have a generational curse. You have a generational blessing. You got another bloodline now, baby. Ah, am I making sense to anybody? Show somebody and tell them this thing's not nearly as complicated as we make it. So you come to a strategic inflection point and you say, I want. You say, I need. You say, I have a right. And God says to you as he did to Israel, I'll give you Saul. Your Bible actually says, I hate to wake some preachers up. Your Bible actually says that God gave them what their heart desired and it sent leanness into their souls. I just want you to contemplate 
that possibly, let me present it as just a possibility, possibly you don't know what's best for you. If you do, why do 50% of your marriages end in divorce? Why can't preachers keep their marriage vows? If you know what's best for you, then how in the world did you end up with your real testimony. Not that one you share with everybody. The fact of the matter is you don't know what's right for you because God never intended for you to even have to make such a choice. The only choice God ever truly required of our pristine parents was this. I'm going to stick a tree out yonder. That's Eastern Kentucky for there. I'm going to stick a tree out there so that you can choose. I'm going to help you out, says Elohim. Don't touch it. Later on, he added such things as, come out from among them. You're not going to hear this in modern preaching. I'm glad you're watching today. Come out from among them and be separate. Do you know what separation is? Watch, I'm going to swear right up in here in church. Holiness. It's holiness. Separation is holiness. God says, don't put your hand on the burner, child. He doesn't even need to tell you it will burn you. Because he said to you, choose my way. How do I know your way? How do I know where to go to church? Hmm. We've got competing light shows, Nashville has-beens, Motown wannabes, preachers that are super-powered, and programs that are always new. Some like chairs, some like pews. Where shall I go to church? God answered that question for you. In the place where he chose to place his name. Not where men chose to place his name, but where God puts his stamp of approval on what's going on. He gives you a litmus test and says to you, these signs shall follow those who believe in my name. Number one, they shall cast out devils. Well, that makes me nervous. If you have a devil, it should. 
Well, can a Christian have a devil? Well, that depends on your definition of a Christian. Somebody that goes to church one Sunday morning in six weeks, which is what all the church growth experts tell preachers to do, just, just be comfortable with people only coming to church once every six weeks. I'm not running a country club. What happened to forsake not the assembling of yourselves together? And even the more so as you see that day approaching, we should be adding services, not subtracting services. I ain't going to get no help up in here. So what do they do? They cast out devils. They speak with new tongues. What do they do? They take up serpents. They take on the forces of darkness. If they drink in the deadly thing, it won't harm them. Blessed be God. It will not harm them. They shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. So when you're choosing a church, if they don't cast out devils, they're off your list. If they don't speak with tongues, they're off the list. Yeah, but they've got a light show. They off the list. If they don't come against the forces of darkness, if they do nothing about the blood of 4,200 innocent babies being yanked from what should be the greatest place of safety in the world, if they never mention it, if they don't stand up against it because they're afraid it will offend somebody, that should offend you. God didn't give me my voice back to play with it, Joe. I'm trying. It's pretty easy, really, to tell the truth. All you got to do is speak the word. So God helps us, does he not? We come to a strategic inflection point. There's the tree. God says you're going to pass it several times, potentially every day. And every time you choose to pass it, innocence has the opportunity, the unproven opportunity of holiness. Can I slow down? When you pass the tree, when you want to throw a temper fit on your spouse, when you pass the tree, when you have a family of generations of alcoholics and you have had an issue yourself and they offer you a cocktail on your flight, you at the tree. If you have an issue with promiscuity, young person, why do you need to be alone? 
What is it that you can do alone that you cannot do in the company of others? You at the tree. Shove your neighbor and say, you're at the tree. You're not at the tree once and forever for all. You're at the tree. You're at the tree many, many, many times every single day. Will I choose to go home to my wife? Will I choose to believe God? We want someone to make the choice for us so that we have the opportunity futuristically to blame. Where do you want to eat? I don't know, where do you want to eat? What you're really saying is not that you don't know what you want to eat. You're actually saying if somebody else chooses and the food's rotten, I can blame them. Is that right, Brittany? Is that right? <laughs> Say, I'm at the tree. Every time in the dark of your midnight, with tears staining your pillow, you're at the tree. When the doctor says you have to die and cannot live, you're at the tree. When the offering containers are being passed, you're at the tree. When God awakens you, I can get to preaching now. When God awakens you at three in the morning and you feel annoying hunger and you drink some water and that didn't fix it and you eat a piece of cake and that didn't fix it and you scramble you some eggs and that didn't fix it but inside there's still a hunger and there's still a gnawing. God is calling you to pray. You're at the tree. God has not called you to negotiate terms at the table of your adversary. God has not called you to engage in conversation with that thing that desires to separate you from him. If you pause and you begin to contemplate, you bring into existence spiritual law, thought, imagination, stronghold. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, they're not fleshly, but they are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, the casting down of imaginations and every high and lofty thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Reverse engineer it, please. For this is a key to revelation in God's word. God works from the outside in when he is explaining a spiritual truth that we need to understand from the inside out. It is thought. He said stronghold first. But when you reverse engineer it, you understand that a stronghold begins with a thought. Just a thought. There is no insulation in this culture from thought. 
Why? Because thoughts are mainly derived through the five senses. So you're driving down the road and there's a lady in a beautiful nightgown. She's been airbrushed so many times it'd take 15 layers of removal to get to the first. There she is with her lovely cocktail in her hand. Why don't they do billboards of what happened to that family? Why don't they show the homeless, the hurting? Why don't they show someone with heroin tracks up and down their arms and in between their toes? Why is that not a billboard? Because they want to help you make the choice. Because once you take the thought and conceive it, meditate on it, image it. The first time you saw her, you thought, hmm. and you went right on. But then, when you began to meditate, imagine yourself with her. Very, very soon you'll take the next step, stronghold. When you get to that level, I submit to you, though I have no time to carry out the discourse with you this morning, I submit to you that at that point, you cannot free yourself. You're in a stronghold. At that point, agreement becomes your only way out. And in order to get agreement, here's why, you must confess. No longer can your situation be dealt with in secret? For at one time, God winked at ignorance, but now commendeth all men to repentance. That's why you must cast down thoughts. What do I replace them with? Do you know that your mind can only grasp one thought at a time? Unless you're under the anointing. When you're under the anointing, you can stand back and watch yourself say things five minutes from now that you haven't said yet. While you're saying other things. That's another message. Cast down that thought. How? Replace it. A thought of promiscuity comes into your mind. And the next thing that happens is up out of your spirit through the gateway of your tongue and your mouth and your expression comes, my wife and I are heirs together, the graces of life. Yeah. 
replace the thought. Thy word have I hidden in my heart so that I can get a new car. Thy word have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. So they passed the tree. At that point, they're innocent. Do you know that at this very moment, you are innocent of the failure that may be lurking in your future? Of the sin, of the iniquity that may be lurking in your future? Here's, here's, here's good news for you. You can miss that mess. I don't have half a church. Why do we always want God to get us out of the ditch when he could have kept us on the road that didn't have the ditch? Good God Almighty. And don't play the condemnation card with me. Every time Christians start to feel conviction, they say condemnation. Conviction is to your spirit what pain is to your body. It is not your enemy. It's an indicator that one exists. So there they are, Dr. Lowe. They're at the tree. They are innocent. Totally and completely righteous, holy, in right standing with God. How many times must they have presented their innocence before that tree and turned their innocence into holiness? We used to sing songs like Yield not to temptation. Now we just try to sing love songs. No longer when I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, my richest gain I count but loss, and I pour contempt on all my pride. 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 In him I live, or I don't live at all. In him I move, or I keep silent. In him I possess my being, or I end in ruin. What a God. What a plan. I'm innocent. I'm passing by temptation. I resist. James 4, 7. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. He is speaking not in a gospel toward the unregenerate. He is speaking in an epistle to the church. This is his Sunday morning message to keep everybody coming back. Resist the devil and he will. Ah, you got to finish the verse to get to shouting ground. He will flee from you. Another translation. 
Resist him in word and deed. That sounds like that's on, that's on you. You resist and he will. Why? Because he already made the way. So when you are innocent and you are tempted, if you resist and Satan flees from you in terror, look at your neighbor like you're a devil terrorist. Why do you wake up in the morning praying, oh God, don't let the devil come near me. Why don't you rather wake up and say, he has given me power over all devils and to cure diseases. He has given me power to tread upon serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and no thing shall by any means harm me or my family or my stuff. Say, I have power. Power over demons, power over depravity, power over disease, power over Satan, power over sickness, power over sin. You've got power today. Power to live right, power to choose right, power to be right, power to speak right, power to walk right. Every time I do, innocence becomes holiness. Holiness is power, my great God, power. But what if I yield? What if I yield? What if I begin the conversation? What if I begin to entertain the thought? Then the fruit looks more appealing every time. Then you begin to reason. Now watch me and I'm closing. Reason is what you do when your faith is non-existent. It was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Your direction does not come from your knowledge. Your direction comes from your spirit, the only part of your triune being that came directly from God. Great God. That means you have living, personally present, resident on the inside of you, the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead. And you mean to tell me you can't resist whatever Satan is presenting to you? Of course you can. And when you do, that path leads to life. I close with this. My wife and I, of course you can do whatever you want, but Joni and I have never set personal boundaries on our children. What does that mean? That means every room in our house is available to them. That means if I'm in a business meeting, unfortunately, with seven attorneys, and my daughter at six years old wants to climb in and climb up on the, in the middle of the table, 
and started singing her favorite Bible song, She's Welcome. God's table is set for you. He's always there, ever-present, right in the middle of your situation. Why would God put that tree there? That's the answer to the question of evil, isn't it? You know that you don't have to live? Teenagers are proving that every day. You don't have to live. But die you must. That's just real. It may not be relevant, but it is revolutionary for a preacher to tell you, you may, may not make it home today. God is ever present there saying to you, choose me. That's what it's all about. Because after all, all the story of the 1,166 pages of your Bible reveal is that God Almighty wants to be with you. I know it's wild. He, he wants to be with you. <laughs> so much so that he refused to live without you. And he says to you today, don't choose death, choose life. For really there's only one choice. But why must there be that choice? Because without it you would not truly be human. God made evil possible. Humans make it actual. Everything we experience on the blue marble surface of this crusty planet is a result of a choice. Someone, somewhere, chose the wrong road. Why did God make evil available? Because love can be expressed no other way than by a choice. My great God, I love you this morning. I don't love you because of what you do for me. I love you for what you did for me. On Calvary's angry, rugged, mean, cruel, biting beam, there you shed your innocent blood for me. And I thank you and I worship you. 
I thank you that you brought me out of the miry clay. I thank you that you forgave me when I am unforgivable. That you love me when I'm unlovable. And Father, with every choice I make, may my life say to you, I choose you. I choose you. I choose you. There's only one choice, God or Satan, life or death, heaven or hell, that's it. Choose life today. Right now in the quietness of this moment, while every spirit but the Holy Spirit is bound, I don't care what you've gone through, I don't care what's happened, I don't care about your past, I only care about your present to alter your future. The Bible says tomorrow's promise to no man. Today is the day of salvation. Now is the appointed time. A very simple question. Do you need to choose Jesus today? Do you need to let heaven and hell and earth go on record with you saying, I choose Jesus, though none go with me. I choose you today. Is that you? Maybe you'd like to do what over 12,000 people have done this year. Maybe you'd like to raise your hand today and say, I'm not where I should be with God, and I know it. I'm separated from Him by the choices that I've made. And today I choose, I choose to arise and go back to my Father's house. I choose to go home. I choose I feel the Holy Spirit dealing. Every person Jesus called, he called publicly. Whether he was calling them for the first time or the 30th time, he called them publicly. In just a moment, I'm gonna ask you to raise your hand if you say, Pastor, there are things between myself and my God, and I want him to know today that I choose him of my own free will free choice must of necessity mean the opportunity to make the wrong choice you're at the tree today you're at the tree you want to choose God when I say three Bravely and boldly raise that hand. We're going to pray. God will do exactly what we ask him to do. Right now, don't let anything hinder you.
Don't let the gleaming fruit, don't let the sweet talk, don't let the happy sounds lure you into the broad way. Jesus is calling. Make the right choice. Make the choice you'll be glad you did when you stand before God in eternity, as we all will. I believe you're going to do it. On three, raise that hand and let's pray together. Choose Christ and not chaos. Choose God and not Satan. Choose heaven and not hell. On three, raise that hand bravely and boldly and let's pray. Hands are already going up. One, two, three. Raise that hand, leave it up. Dozens and dozens and dozens all over this vast tabernacle. Everybody pray out loud. Heavenly Father, I come to you today. I was born a sinner and I've committed sins. I've been separated from you by my own choice. But today, today I choose Jesus. Come into my heart. Forgive my sins. Give me eternal life. A home in heaven and heaven to go to heaven in. I thank you, God, for giving me the opportunity to choose you. And I do with all of my heart. I thank you for doing for me what I could never do for myself. I'm a Christian. I'm born again. I choose life. I choose heaven. I choose Jesus. I choose right now to express my joy by shouting and clapping just as loud as I can. A praise to God. Hey, thanks for listening to today's episode. If you enjoyed it, I want to invite you to tell someone in your life about the podcast. Hope you'll do it today. Head on over to iTunes and leave a review. Share it on your social networks for me. Really helps me get the word out. I'd love for you to connect with me on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram. No easier way for me to minister to you every day and throughout the day and for us to join together in faith as God moves in and through your life. You can find links to all my pages at rodparsley.com. God bless you now, and I hope you'll listen again soon.